following is a presentation of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York. Well, at Artisan, we are in the second week of a very brief, just two weeks uh, long, mini-series called Widows and Orphans. And we started this last week, we're going to finish it today, and we'll be on to something else next week. Um, Widows and Orphans is a phrase that's very common in Scripture, especially in the Old Testament. Um, and it, it has come to represent for people of faith the call to care for people who are marginalized. Uh, sometimes that's literally widows and orphans, and sometimes it's, it goes deeper than that. Sometimes it says widows and orphans, sometimes it says orphans and widows. These two words, though, seem to be paired together in Scripture over and over and over again. And so we thought we'd do a little mini-series on these two groups of people and think about how we can be caring for vulnerable people, for needy people, as the church. And last week we kicked it off, talked about widows a little bit. Um, and you may remember, if you were here, Dr. Dallas Nelson, who's a geriatrician, came and shared all kinds of very insightful, useful stuff, heartbreaking stuff, and really inspiring stuff uh, about how she, in her work with elderly patients, sees the need that's real in our community every day. Now, if you didn't hear that because you weren't here last week, I encourage you to go listen to it on our podcast. You can get that on our website. You can get it on iTunes, all that stuff. You can listen to it right in the Artisan mobile app. Um, but please go and listen to that. Um, Dallas had some really, really important stuff to say, and if you've missed it, I don't want you to go on missing it. Um, one of the things I talked about last week is the fact that being a widow during the biblical era was absolutely a dire situation because it was a culture that was ordered by patriarchy. Right? So being a widow nowadays is, is not an easy thing, but being a widow in the ancient Near East was... Um, effectively the end of your productive life as a person. Um, because in a patriarchal society, women require husbands to care for them, to provide for their needs, to protect them from attack, and so on. And um, without, a, without the, the patriarch present in the household, uh, there'd be no income, no provision, no protection. And... Uh, that's not exactly the case in present day, right? which doesn't mean that we shouldn't also care for modern-day widows, obviously. But the same is true for orphans, children who have lost parents, maybe even more so. Uh, in the ancient Eastern culture, there was really no hope for a child without parents for the same reasons. There was no patriarch. And so this pairing of widows and orphans Again, very common linguistic connection in the Bible. And uh, I want to give you an example now. We talked last week about widows. I want to give you an example now of a text that uses this same pairing, but I want to go more in the direction of caring for orphans today. So if you have a Bible, please turn to Deuteronomy chapter 10. We do provide red Bibles just like this one all through the room, and if you're going to use one of those, you could go to page 147. But I do encourage you to bring your own Bibles or to use a Bible app on your phone if you prefer that or on whatever device you carry around with you everywhere you go. And if you don't own a Bible but would like to, please take a red one home with you today. These are intended to be given as gifts. We buy new boxes of them all the time so that when you take them home, we can keep replenishing them in the room, and that's a beautiful thing. More people reading the Bible is a good thing. So I'm going to read to you Deuteronomy chapter 10, verses 12 through 22. 
and then have a few thoughts, and then we have a very special presentation today that I'm so excited to share with you. Let's read from the book of Deuteronomy. So now, O Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? Only to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments of the Lord your God and his decrees that I am commanding you today for your own well-being. Although heaven and the heaven of heavens belong to the Lord your God, the earth with all that is in it, yet the Lord set his heart in love on your ancestors alone and chose you, their descendants after them, out of all the peoples as it is today. Circumcise then the foreskin of your heart and do not be stubborn any longer. Now that's a very complicated idea, which it's not quite fair to breeze right past, but I'm going to. Because this really gets, it starts to get really on target for us here in verse 17. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who is not partial and takes no bribe, who executes justice for the orphan and the widow, and who loves the strangers, providing them food and clothing. You shall also love the stranger, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. You shall fear the Lord your God, him alone you shall worship, to him you shall hold fast, and by his name you shall swear. He is your praise, he is your God, who has done for you these great and awesome things that your own eyes have seen. Your ancestors went down to Egypt, 70 persons, and now the Lord your God has made you as numerous as the stars in heaven. So this passage tells us that the Lord, Yahweh, the God of Israel, executes justice for the orphan and the widow. People who would have no access to justice in a patriarchal society as widows and orphans get it because God himself executes it. It is in God's nature to act justly on behalf of widows and orphans. And then he says in there, you shall love the stranger, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. And I promise you, this text was chosen prior to Friday at 4.42 p.m. See, the Bible is going to get political on us whether we want it to or not. You shall love the stranger. Why? Not just because it's a nice thing to do, but because you were strangers in Egypt. If God has done any work to redeem any of you, Moses seems to be saying, you'd better be willing to act and redeem those who need redemption around you now. By the way, as far as that goes, the, uh, not, the, not the politics, but the selection of the texts, <laughs> I want to give big thanks to our greenhouse Uh, planning team. Our greenhouses are our small groups at Artisan. They're underway recently, but you can still join one. Uh, And the greenhouse team chose the text last week and this week to reflect God's care about justice for widows and orphans. And they were so good uh, in the greenhouse this week uh, that I thought we needed to use them in the sermon as well. Both weeks, that's how that happened. So thanks to them, and please get involved with greenhouses if you haven't already. It's not too late to do that. And one of the beautiful things about it is that you get to encounter these biblical texts in a small group setting, 
and process them and meditate on them and pray around them. And then you come to church a few days later, and hopefully the sermon um, complements that in some way. But the point here about this loving the stranger thing is that rescue of marginalized and oppressed people is the natural outpouring of the heart of God. The rescue of oppressed people is the whole plot of the story that's most central to Israel's identity. The story of the Exodus is the story of God caring caring for and rescuing people who were oppressed and who had to flee their land. How dare we not live into that? And the passage concludes with what I think is the most beautiful verse in the entire book of Deuteronomy. When we studied Deuteronomy as a church a few months ago, and and months before that, I started to study the book myself. And as I read through the whole book, this verse, 10.22, was the one that stood out to me as the most beautiful thing in the whole book. Your ancestors went down to Egypt, 70 persons. But now the Lord your God has made you as numerous as the stars in the heaven. Isn't that a beautiful image? Isn't that a beautiful truth? Now, here's what's amazing about this. This was the promise that was given to Abraham generations before, that I will bless your family, Abraham, so that your family will become great, so that your family can be a blessing to all the families of the earth and its families, and its tribes, and its nations. Remember in the ancient areas, these things all kind of blur together more so than they do now. In your family, in your tribe, which will increase, in your nation, I will make you great so that you can bless all the other families, tribes, nations in the world. That's the promise given to Abraham. And the only way it's mediated out is through the flourishing of families. Now, it would not have been possible for Abraham to become the father of a great people without families being healthy and growing and flourishing. It would not have been possible for, his ancestor, for, uh, for the Israelites' ancestors at the time of the Exodus to go down to Egypt as 70 persons and come back out of Egypt as numerous as the stars in the heaven if they did not have healthy, flourishing families. Now, let me say a word of caution here. What I am not saying is that if you are not a family with a whole quiver full of children, that you are not eligible for God's blessing or to distribute it to the world around you. What I am not saying is that if you're a single person, that you somehow are deficient in uh, expressing and having the image of God because you don't have a man and a woman. God created male and female in his own image, and you need both to put them back together. To, like that kind of hogwash that I hear in the church a lot is not where I'm going right now. If you're a single person, you have God's image and you have all of it. If you're a family without children, you are completely capable of blessing the world around you on behalf of the blessing God has given you. Do you hear all that? Now, that being said, what is also true is that God's people would not have multiplied and grown and been a blessing to the whole world if their families had not flourished. And for families to flourish, you have to have something more than the status quo for widows and orphans in an ancient Near Eastern culture. It's not a a, a spiritual observation, it's biology. 
So then, caring for widows and caring for orphans, maybe especially caring for children without parents, is one way of restoring to fullness and wholeness the most basic fundamental unit of Israel's redemption. And again, it's not just Israel, it's not just the Jewish text, it's not just the Hebrew Bible. The teachings of Jesus and the apostles carry this forward into Christianity, and our faith has a long history of caring for widows and orphans. Admirable, something that we should aspire to, to emulate. Now, as I said last week, when we were talking about widows, there's two ways you could try to apply this text. And this is important. I'm going to go on a little bit of a a rabbit trail here, but a brief one, I hope. And I will find the main road again, I promise. But this is important for me to say that there's a couple ways you can interpret this because, let me tell you why it's important. Because I am so much more interested, as your pastor, in teaching you how to read the Bible than I am interested in teaching you how I read the Bible. Does that make sense? Now, I'm going to interpret the scriptures before you and and preach it out at you. Hopefully, that's prophetic. Hopefully, it's uh, comprehensible. (laughs) Hopefully, you are challenged by it, inspired by it, and you like it, and it's not too boring most of the time. It's part of my work. But I am much more interested in uh, blessing you with the tools of how to read the scriptures for yourself because I want you all to do it. I want you to read the Bible on your own, and I want you to to know how to do it. I want you to come at it with... uh, with your own unique heart and soul and mind and strength that you can exercise in loving God as you read the scriptures and try to apply them to your life. So here's two ways you could apply a text like this. When you say, okay, the Bible's call is clearly uh, at that time uh, God wanted the, the Israelites to care for orphans and widows. Thing, way number one is to say, well, um, Scott's right. Widows and orphans don't have it. Uh, it's not quite as dire for a 21st century American widow or an orphan as it would have been for an Israelite you know, so long ago. So what we need to do then to truly apply this is find some analogy. We have to find an analogous group that we can try to defend and uh, work for justice on their behalf, right? So maybe it's orphans in uh, the developing world where things are much more dire or widows in the developing world. Maybe it's the people who are here in our city but who are so marginalized and needy that they are every bit as desperate as an Israelite widow would have been at the time of Moses. That would be a valid way to apply the text, right? You're, you're doing some kind of uh, analogous work. You're, you're making a little bit of a leap. That's appropriate to do. The other way to do it would be to say, well, it says we should care for widows and orphans. I have an idea. Why don't we care for widows and orphans? <laughs> They're not in the same exact situation, but we should care for them because that's what that's what God wants. That's the heart of God is, is caring for marginalized people, specifically widows and orphans. It's in the Bible like 100,000 times, right? And it's really that second way that we're looking at this during this series. So the first way is valid. I encourage you to do it. Find the people who are truly in dire, marginalized, needy situations and, and be, work on their behalf for justice. But also we've got to realize there are actual widows and actual orphans in our community who are somewhat invisible to us because, you know, they can't get to the, the, the bridge at 490 with a sign for us to ignore as we drive past them. It's, a lot, it's even easier to ignore people sometimes. So, hmm. so what I want you to do 
is I want you to hear from somebody who can give you some insight into this much better than I can. And so I'm going to invite uh, Anna and Pat McDermott to come up to the platform this morning because they have some really uh, great insight into this because of what's going on in their own lives right now. And uh, thank you for coming up. And by the way, as you're getting situated, let me just ask you about the word orphans, okay? Uh, Maybe it's because I've been watching a series of unfortunate events on Netflix, (laughs) but the word orphans just feels very aggressive to me (laughs) because Count Olaf is always saying, oh, orphans, I'm going to take your fortune. Um, (laughs) uh, Leaving Count Olaf aside, (laughs) a phrase which here means not thinking about him right now. Um, Can you tell me, is this word okay or should we find a different way to say this? Um, I I don't really know that I can answer that because I'm not one of of them. I'd say it probably is okay for this discussion, though it's not entirely accurate, because the, uh, usually when people think of orphans, they think of somebody whose parents have died. Um, and the particular group of marginalized people we are talking about um, are children, for whatever reason, who the state feels cannot live with their families of origin. All right, so we'll, we'll go with orphans, and we'll just try not to be too ominous when we, when we say it. Um, so I also want to credit Anna here because this, the idea for this series came out of a conversation that I had with Anna. Um, and uh, Anna was telling me about what they're looking to do in their family, which is to adopt. And I'll tell you more about that in a minute. Um, she's like, boy, I'd really love to share this with, like, I would like the church to be aware of this. She didn't say it the first way. She said, I'd like the church to know about the need and what, what, what's, what we can do. And I said, that's not the kind of thing you say to a pastor. <laughs> Um, how would you like to be part of a series on this? And so that's what happened. So thank you, Anna, for bringing this to my attention and to uh, both of you for bringing it to the church's attention. So tell us what's going on in your life. What is it that you are going to do? So we are looking to adopt the child from foster care who will probably be from like between the ages of 5 and 12. Uh, those aren't hard numbers yet. Uh, these are children who um, whose who've been brought into the foster system and whose family of origin have had their uh, parental rights terminated. Wow. So I I didn't tell you I was going to ask you this question, but can you tell me what brought you to that place? What is it that made you want to do this? This is going to sound really silly, but I don't remember. Um, (laughs) We, we, Okay, this is going to sound even sillier, but I suspect I know. Um, I, I wish I had some like great story of like meeting a kid from foster care and ha- being inspired, but it was actually a Law and Order rerun um, <laughs> that made, made me aware of the issue. Um, it, the, it, I did some research about it. We were already, you know, thinking about appropriate ways to add to our family what choice might work best for us. And so I did a bunch of reading on it. I said, hey, Pat, you know, this is what I've learned. And he did a bunch of reading on it. And we both came to the decision that, you know, um, this was a choice that was right for us and our family. Wow, that is so cool. Now, please don't, uh, don't ever say that that's silly because I'm serious. There is n- uh, nothing more admirable, in my opinion, in a Christian than taking in the world around them and saying, how can I live out my faith in a way that makes sense in light of what I just learned, even if it's from a Law & Order episode? Um, that's a beautiful thing. 
That's called, uh, we, 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 we engage culture. It's called being incarnational, if you want to be really, really uh, theologically nerdy about it. To but. be fair, Law and Order SVU is pretty silly. <laughs> well, that may be true. I don't know about that. <laughs> so since you'll be adopting from the foster system as opposed to adopting um, an infant or adopting from another country, there's lots of valid ways and commendable ways to adopt. But since you're adopting from the foster system uh, a child that's age 5 to 12, um, let's talk about that a little bit. Do you, uh, do you know how many kids are in the foster system right now? Why, yes, I can give you some numbers. <laughs> so uh, Monroe County, I couldn't find a lot of real um, detailed information. Um, I do know that on average, um, at any given point in time, there are about 470 kids in care. Um, but I did get a bunch of data from uh, the Adoption and Foster Care Analysis and Reporting System for fiscal year 2014. This is national data. Um, so the 2010 census, um, which I think was the most recent one when they were making this report, um, had 74.2 million kids in the U.S. Um, of these kids, on September 30th, 2014, there were 402,378 kids in foster care. Uh, that maths out to about uh, 1 in 184 kids in care, and 61% of those are over the age of 5. Um, and it's when a child reaches around six or so that statistically the chances that they will be adopted um, tend to fall rather dramatically. Um, so to, in that year, uh, 264,746 children entered care. Um, that's around one every two minutes if you average it out. Um, the goal for about 27% of kids that year in care where it was adoption. Now, CPS has a kind of bad reputation for like swooping in and taking people's kids, and I'm not saying, you know, that doesn't happen sometimes, but um, in order for the goal to be adoption, um, the parental rights have to be terminated. It's usually for abuse or neglect. Um, neglect, I think, is the most common. Um, and that is usually after repeated reunification plans that have failed. Um, so CPS's primary goal is always, always, always to keep the biological family together and, and unless they can't. Um, so that year, um, out of the, it was about 107,000 kids that were available for adoption. That year, 50,000 of them were adopted. Um, with the exact numbers, that works out to 47% of the waiting children were adopted. Which means that more than half were not. So what are some of the unique challenges that kids face after they get past that age where they're much less likely to be adopted? When you're, when you're a foster child, five and up, six and up, what are some of the unique challenges that they will face? Well, I'm the talker in this relationship. Can you tell? Um, for, sorry. <laughs> well, first of all, there's, there's what brought them into care in the first place. You, you don't end up in foster care because your life's going great for you. Um, so they already kind of come in a little disadvantaged. Um, maybe they come in as babies um, that have tested positive for uh, drug or, drugs or alcohol and are taken like straight from the hospital to a foster home. Um, maybe they were born with substances and it wasn't caught, so they have some sort of developmental delay. Um, they're taken in when they're, and, and a lot of kids do, that is a, a problem. Um, 
maybe they're taken in when they're older because they've experienced abuse or neglect at the, uh, at the hands of their caregivers. Um, so they've kind of, I think it's important to remember that most of us have grown up in a world where by and large, big people protect and take care of little people. And for them, they've grown up in a world where by and large, big people hurt little people or just can't be trusted in general. So they're coming in um, to a brand spank a new place, um, either a foster home or some sort of residential treatment facility, depending on their needs or even how much space there is. Some kids end up going to residential care who don't really need it because there just aren't enough foster homes. Um, and foster homes are, by, by design, they're, they're temporary. Um, so here's this kid who's been disadvantaged, and I'll talk a bit later about how, you know, that can kind of affect a kid's behavior and the way they see things. And um, they, they kind of can end up learning instead of, well, gee, I make a mistake and mess up and do something bad. Um, I'm going to get a consequence. I'm going to learn from it. We're all going to continue on. They might end up learning, I'm going to do something bad, um, and I'm going to move. Like, these people are going to give up on me, and I'm going to move. Um, so even just the, the fear and the impermanency of the time and care can really do a number on somebody's brain, especially when it's still developing. Um, so what happens to a foster child who is in the system and doesn't find a home where they're adopted? So they're, they're getting older and older, or eventually they're going to reach the age of adulthood, and the system is not there, in, not going to be in place for them anymore. What happens to somebody like that? Well, I do have some statistics on this. Um, so uh, once they reach the age of 18, sometimes there are programs, especially in New York State, that continue to, to 21. Um, at some point, all the nice caseworkers and the services they get are going to go to other kids, and they're going to kind of be left alone. Um, with, with, and it's really devastating, actually, to think about being somebody that age without you know, a family, without somebody to go to on the holidays, without a place to go if your life kind of tanks and you need some place to figure everything out, nobody to give you advice, nobody to tell you how to do your taxes, stuff like that, stuff that we might take for granted. Um, so in 2014, uh, a little over 23,000 kids aged out of foster care um, and the outlooks for those kids tend to be pretty bleak. 25% um, experience homelessness within the first four years of aging out. Um, male emancipated youth are four times more likely to commit a crime, and uh, female emancipated youth ten times more likely. Um, they are five times as likely as the general population to develop post-traumatic stress disorder, uh, two times more likely to abuse drugs and alcohol, uh, sorry, two times more likely to abuse alcohol, and seven times more likely to abuse drugs. Um, only one-half are employed by age 24, less than 3% earn a college degree, and 71% of the young women will become pregnant by the age 21. Um, so it, it kind of cycles back. Wow. Um, it's not the first time I've heard those statistics, but just now it's hitting me. Like, even, even if we're not discussing foster care and adoption, that ought to inspire us to have so much more compassion for people who are drug abusers, for example, or uh, pregnant at an inconvenient time, or whatever it might be. Um, and I forgot to say that this isn't, none of these are because they're somehow deficient or they're bad people. Um, they've been through probably a lot more than most of us will ever go through, and 
as, and didn't have the support system really to deal with it in effective ways. Right. Um, so is there anything that you would like y- your church family to know about foster children and caring for them? Um, because as, as a child comes to become part of your family, we want that child to become part of our family too, don't we? And we would like to know the best ways that we can support you and support the child and, and some things that we should not say or do or should say or do, that kind of stuff. I don't know if I can tell you that part. Um, well, I, I guess a one thing to do would be kind of to challenge your notion of what you might think of when you think of orphan. There's kind of this cultural image of this little like waif and in rags, this very Dickensian figure with the giant eyes who's so grateful for everything. Um, that's not going to happen. That's not what happens with kids who are in care. Um, even if their family of origin committed some sort of crime or, or maybe didn't give them the best experience, they, want, they usually want to go back. Um, they didn't ask for any of this. They didn't ask to be taken away. Um, so they're usually not, not particularly grateful. Um, and why should they be? Um, they have, they've learned that adults can't be trusted. Um, and I think it's important to note that um, when you come from this kind of back, like a deprived background and maybe don't have the social supports that you need to, um, kids learn a lot in their first five or so years of life. Things like, um, you know, developing a conscience or cause and effect type thinking. Um, and when the... F- when they've encountered some sort of trauma or the family's broken up, a lot of times what happens is that they end up being a little delayed in those sorts of things because um, all the energy that they should have been used, using to learn the lessons of being a kid, they were using to keep themselves safe. Um, and sometimes that can translate into behaviors that... Um, if it, that, that we might think, like, gee, this child's really being a jerk right now, um, but it, it might have been a behavior that served them well or kept them, they feel like kept them safe or alive. Um, and Pat was yeah. going to talk a bit about that. Yeah, speaking of that, like the one behavior that made how that, the, the fact that this has, a lot of this has to do with unmet needs or harm to the kid uh, was one, a behavior we warned about called food hoarding. And that's where the child will stash food maybe under their bed is probably a common space, place. And it could be anything. It could be meat or perishables and it doesn't really matter. Um, obviously we don't, you don't really want spoiled milk in your bed, but in their past life or in their previous time, that could have kept them better fed than if they didn't do anything like that. Some of these things are just logical outcomes of the awful situation they were in before. And that, that can include stuff that, you know, we may attach a moral value to, like lying. Um, if you were punished severely for telling the truth, you may lie, even automatically. Um, some kids don't have never learned appropriate boundaries between adults and children. And that can be very disturbing um, for people. Um, and some kids, for example, um, may not take very good care of their personal hygiene, either because they didn't learn how or um, it wasn't encouraged, or it could have thought that you, they could have thought that being gross kept unsafe adults away. Um, so it's things like that that you know we may have not had experience um, with in our own lives that you can see how it makes sense in their heads. So in a roundabout way of answering that question, um, I guess 
uh, grace would be appreciated, even if, you know, you might think, gee, this kid's a little weird. Um, And they might just have a trauma history. They may not even be trying to be, you know, um, unpleasant. Um, And how lucky will any kid be to have a church full of people to, to teach them and to model healthy, appropriate adulting? Well, um, I want you to, as this process continues, I want you to, to be sure that you keep talking to us about that kind of thing because for many of us, probably most of us, we, we won't know some of what you've shared with us. And um, it's okay for you and appropriate for you to, to tell us, hey, you know, be aware of this situation or it's probably not the best idea to do that thing or mm-hmm. say it that way, whatever it might be. Um, and we want to learn from you, and it's okay for you to, to be bold in telling us that when it's appropriate. So, yeah. I, I just remembered something I forgot to say. I'm sorry. Um, so th- that sort of situation, the grace and the understanding, um, becomes even more important when the kid is diagnosed or has the symptoms of PTSD because, you know, some of the stuff that I was talking about was pretty generalized. But um, if, if a kid may have a certain trigger for their PTSD symptoms, um, that could cause them to act aggressive or zone out or, you know, break down hysterically crying. And you may not, it may be something silly um, that seems silly to you, like, you know, a certain color shirt or men with beards or, sorry, Pat. Um, That's okay. And <laughs> um, one we were warned about was having pictures taken. Some kids, that brings up trauma for them. Um, and, you know, just, again, grace and, and understanding that, and this goes for any kid, not just kids from care, you know. Sure, kids can be jerks sometimes, but sometimes, you know, that they may have something going on in their lives that you don't really know about. Yeah. Well, thank you. That is heartbreaking in its insight. Um, so I, I said this last week. I'll say it again. Everybody in the room right now has enough compassion and empathy to think that's terrible that children are facing this. That's the baseline. I assume that all of you care enough to feel that way, but some of you right now are feeling particularly heartbroken. This is crushing you to hear this. That may be an indication that the Holy Spirit is particularly interested in you getting involved here, that God is calling you to be involved somehow. And so this last question is for those of you, especially those of you who are having your heart just feel like it's broken right now, because you need to be sensitive to the leading of the Spirit when that comes to you. And I, I, I believe that's probably what it is. Um, so some people will be able to become foster parents. Some people will be able to become adoptive parents. But n- most people will not be able to do either of those things. What are, what, are, what are ways people could do those? And then what are some things that they could do um, to support the kids in the system if they can't do those things? Mm-hmm. So the state is always looking for foster families. Um, so if you feel like that is appropriate for you, I'd highly encourage you to do it because they, it's, it's a long process. It can feel very invasive. Um, they want to make sure kids will be safe. So they ask you a bunch of personal questions you may not want to answer, but you should answer them anyway. Um, and that's what we've been going through. We're represented by a private agency, uh, not the state. Um, we can adopt that, that way we could adopt kids from all over the country um, and we, we decided that was the right choice for us but usually foster parenting you get certified through whatever county you live in um, it's normally free except for 
maybe personal legal fees for any kid you decide to adopt. But um, a foster family is, in, is a temporary family for the kid to live with, to have a stable home environment, while CPS determines if they're safe to return to their family of origin. Um, it's not a commitment to adopt, though if you do foster a kid and their parental rights are terminated, you will be you know, given priority should you choose to adopt that child. Um, and the important thing to know about foster care is that they are looking to rule you in, not to rule you out. So if you're somebody who maybe has, you know, episodes in your past where you maybe weren't so happy or, you know, you think, gee, this might make me look a little sketchy, um, they're really going to try and work with you on stuff like that. They, they, and in some case, adverse experiences can be a bit of a bonus. My, my caseworker was telling me that people who have lived through some stuff um, can usually relate to the kid a bit better um, than somebody who may not understand how you know, trauma can mess with somebody. Um, so there's the option of, of foster care, and if anybody's curious about that, I'd be more than happy to give you some resources so you can figure out if that's the right choice for you and your family. But if it isn't, um, very briefly, there are a few organizations off the top of my head I can think of. Um, if you have a flexible schedule and want to make a commitment to um, give up some free time for a kid, you can apply to be what's called a court-appointed special advocate, or a CASA. And um, what a CASA does is that they bond with the kid, um, they talk with them, and um, they go to court to advocate for what the kid wants and what may be in their best interests. Um, sometimes it's very challenging for young people to testify in court. Um, as it would be for anybody, but especially for kids. Um, and so their job is to kind of be an intermediary between the kid and the people who are, uh, you know, their lawyers and, you know, the people who will be making the decisions for what happens to this child. Um, if you can't make that level of commitment, there are a couple organizations I can think of. A great organization called Together We Rise um, does events. You can do it with your with your work or with some friends or whatever, get together, you decorate duffel bags and create care packages for kids in care. Um, because a lot of kids who come into care don't really have much in the way of possessions, um, and especially not luggage. So what sometimes happens, actually usually happens, is that they're given a giant black garbage bag to carry all their belongings from home to home in. And that's pretty heartbreaking, um, practically, and, you know, just to think about, you know, what that symbolizes. So they create what are called sweet cases, which is, are these duffel bags. Um, also, there's an organization called One Simple Wish that uh, gives wishes for foster kids. Maybe it's a recently emancipated teenager who, you know, really wants a couch for his apartment. Um, or, you know, a kid in care who wants a Barbie doll or... Uh, some sort of learning system that would really help them out and their foster family can't afford it, you can go on there and pay for part or all of a gift for a kid in foster care. And there are gifts ranging from like $25 to hundreds of dollars. So, you know, it's, it's really whatever you feel called to do. Oh, that's wonderful. Um, well, thank you guys so much. I am so grateful to you for your uh, insight for sharing with us this part of your life and for inviting us to be part of it with you. And um, could we close by praying for you as a church? So extend your hearts and your uh, prayers to Anna and Pat as we pray. God, I thank you for this uh, incredibly inspiring couple, for Pat and Anna, and the way that you have uh, placed this burden on their heart 
and for their courage in moving forward with it. And we pray that as they walk this difficult road, you would continue to provide for them, that you would provide for the child that they will adopt, and that you would help us as their church community to support them and to support this child in the best possible way that we could. And may this be for all of us a symbol of your love and care for needy and marginalized people and an inspiration to us to uh, work for justice, to extend compassion and mercy to all the people who are in need in our world, in our community, in our city. We thank you again for Pat and Anna and pray for a great blessing on their life as they expand their family. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you. Would you thank Pat and Anna for their uh, awesome insight? I want to invite you now to come to the table of the Lord uh, and receive the sacrament of communion. Um, As you come, you can take the bread, remember Christ's body broken for you, and dip it in one of the cups. We have both wine and juice. Choose the one that would be more appropriate for you and for your family. Dip it in and remember his blood shed for the forgiveness of sins. And as you take it into your own body, may it be for you the body of our Lord. May it be for you food for your hungry soul. And may it be an act of unity together with each other and with Christians around the world and throughout time. Uh, If you'd like to receive personalized prayer, there's a member of the prayer team at the back corner of the room who'd be happy to pray with you during this time. And you can go and get your kids and invite them to take communion with you or get them right after you take communion. We have a couple more songs to sing together while we do this, so let's uh, lift up our voices in worship as we receive the sacrament. Uh, Come to the table. I invite you, and uh, may God be with you. For more information, visit us at artisanchurch.com.